Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now after three years, five flight instructors and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot Audio Ground School Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Nick from Part-Time Pilot. Thanks for joining me on the Audio Ground School Podcast, where we go through our online ground school in audio format for you guys. In the last episode, we covered... So we're going through Section 5 of the Online Ground School. So this is Course 2, Course Step 2 all the lessons of your online ground school. And this is section five of that course on weather theory, weather charts, and weather information. And in the last episode, we talked about uh, dew point and clouds, which were lessons seven and eight of that section. And today we're gonna talk about lesson nine, which is weather and altimeter settings slash altitudes. Now this is a pretty long lesson, so I'm just gonna keep it at that. We might get to lesson 10 and 11, but I think I might kind of do that as sort of a bonus episode because it kind of is an excursion away from weather in and of itself, but it was a good point for me to put it in the ground school because we're going to start reading charts and we need to know how to, in those lessons, I want you to build those skills of estimating numbers on charts and interpolating. So that might be, we might save that for the next episode on how to sort of read these charts and how to interpolate. And so probably just today we'll get through lesson nine, weather and altimeter settings, because again, it is a quite a a long episode, a long lesson. So before we get to all that, I just wanted to share it. So I'm starting to do to try and get some some feedback from students so that you guys may be prospective students, those of you out there looking for an online ground school can hear their experience straight, you know, other students experience. You you listen to me enough, right? I, I don't want to try and sell you guys on my course, tell you we have this, this, and this. I mean, I do that because I do, I, I have to, but also I want you guys to hear it. I want you to look at reviews. You can go to trustpilot.com and search in part-time pilot to look at our reviews. But I also want you to hear from actual students who have been through our course to see what they think. And this is totally 100% honest. I just, once a student finishes our course, I ask them if they want to do a audio testimonial. And if they say yes, I ask them if I can use it on the podcast. And if they say yes, then I use it on the podcast. So that's it. It's totally honest. So we're going to hear from a student, Osa. Osa came to us with absolutely no background or knowledge in aviation or piloting whatsoever. And he'll talk about that a little bit. And so we'll just let him do that. And then after that, we'll get into the lesson. Hi, my name is Osa Ende Akinbury, and I'm here to talk to you about part-time pilot. 
why I chose it to be my online ground school and my experience with the program. First, I have a hectic schedule. I'm a firefighter. I work three, four days in a row. So I needed to be able to learn at my own pace, uh, study when I was available, if that's you know two in the morning, 5 a.m., and get to the program. So online was the way to go for me. Then I had to choose between you know, the large number of online ground schools out there. What stood out to me was the live sessions. I tuned into a few of them that Nick was giving before I got into the program. I emailed him, asked questions. He was really quick and attentive um, with getting back to me. So I thought that was important and that would possibly, you know, lead to me having more success. The weekly live sessions he was giving were usually the more complex equations, you know, how to use the tools like E6B, how to use a plotter tool, VORs to triangulate your position, which is very important. Those are the things that most people struggle with and may, may stumble a bit on. Next was the standard. Nick demanded that you get an 80 plus on all of his uh, practice tests and quizzes to be able to advance and move on in the course. The FAA written exam only demands a 70% to pass. Well, my average score on all the practice tests was an 85. Um, And I took, I want to say probably five or six practice tests and I got pretty much an 85 on every single one of them. That accurately predicted my score. On the FA written, I got an 85. When I came into the program, the score that I got on the baseline test to kind of gauge where you come in and what you come in knowing, I think I only got five questions right out of however many there were. So that, by all means, is a failure. But I went from not knowing anything to a month and a half, two months later, passing the FA written test and, you know, doing pretty well. Part-time pilot was able to help me to do that, going from zero knowledge. So would I give them a recommendation? Of course. If you're going to do an online ground school, I wouldn't suggest you look anywhere but part-time pilot. I'm not any better or worse than anybody, but I went from zero knowledge to passing the exam in about a month and a half to two months with a hectic schedule. So give part-time pilot a try if you're seriously thinking about becoming a pilot. All right. Thanks, Osa. So those of you guys that are may, might still be searching or shopping for an, an, a ground school, maybe that helped you guys make your decision. I don't know. If you have any questions, you can always email us at team at parttimepilot.com. All right. Enough with that. Let's get to the free content, the online ground school in audio version. And we're going to do that on the lesson on weather, altitudes, and altimeter settings. So the reason... You know, we're, we're kind of doing weather, so you might be thinking, okay, why are we talking about the altimeter and altitudes? How is that associated with weather? Well, it is very associated with weather because the altimeter to read altitude, if you remember back when in the first few episodes when we were talking about aircraft systems and we talked about how those systems work, like the altimeter, the altimeter just reads a pressure, reads the air pressure, and then turns that into an altitude. And now we, from this weather, these weather lessons that we've been talking about, we understand now that when pressure changes, temperature changes, and vice versa, so we know it's all connected. We know air masses coming in can be warm or cold and have different pressures or temperatures. We have pressure systems that come in and out. So we know that all these different types of weather 
coming in and out can really affect our altimeter. And so that is why it is important to link the two, weather, pressure, temperature, and the altitudes that we talk about as a pilot. So that is why we're going to sort of talk about that now because I think this is a good place to fit it. And we'll even get into density altitude and what that is. We won't 100% get into how it affects performance until a little bit later when we get into aircraft performance and stuff like that. But an intro to density altitude is definitely something we're going to do now because it's one of those things where you might want to hear it a couple times. All right, so let's get to the lesson. There are several types of altitude measurements you will hear as a pilot. In this section, I will define and describe the differences of each. I will also go into detail on how weather affects these readings and what you can expect from a pilot when entering a particular air mass. First altitude I want to talk, so here's the altitude, different altitudes I want to talk about that you will hear as a student pilot or a pilot. You have indicated altitude, true altitude, absolute altitude, pressure altitude, and density altitude. Indicated altitude is the altitude that you read off your altimeter regardless of whether it is accurate or not. So that's simply, you have your altimeter, it's reading something. You don't know if, you know, we'll teach you how to know if that's accurate or not, but whatever that says, that's the indicated altitude. It's as indicated, right? True altitude is the height above mean sea level or MSL. True altitude is equal to indicated altitude when the altimeter setting is set correctly and the temperature is exactly standard. So we'll get to this, but the altimeter setting changes, changes your altimeter based off changes in the air pressure. So when you're flying atmospheric air pressure, when you're flying in atmosphere with a different pressure than standard, your altimeter setting is used to change that. And we talked about this in the altimeter section in the first couple episodes of the podcast. And then, so if that is correct, and then temperature is exactly standard because temperature can also have an effect on your reading, then that is going to, if you have both those standard or you know your altimeter setting is set correctly, then your true altitude is going to equal your indicated altitude. And again, I said true altitude is height above mean sea level. Mean sea level is like a reference line that scientists, meteorologists use around. It's like ground zero essentially it's a reference line that we use a mean means average so the average sea level point or line around the globe is mean sea level absolute altitude is the height above the ground so instead of that mean sea level right so you could be above a mountain and your height above mean sea level let's say you're at 10,000 feet above sea level but you're only a thousand feet above the peak of the mountain so your absolute altitude would be a thousand feet while your mean sea level would be ten thousand feet this is not a value that you would get from your altimeter since you don't know the exact ground elevation above sea level but some you know newer gps systems that you can load map terrain maps and so it'll know your gps coordinates and then it knows what's below you the terrain below you and it can calculate that agl above ground level for you the next one is pressure altitude. Pressure altitude is the indicated altitude when the altimeter setting is set to the standard pressure setting of 29.92 inches of HG. So no matter what the atmospheric pressure is and what you have your altimeter setting to, if you change that altimeter setting to the standard pressure of 29.92, that's going to be your pressure altitude. 
I like to call pressure altitude the reference altitude because it's a good reference point to make calculations and plan routes on. So it, it, that's sort of what it's used for. It's used as a reference. So even when pilots fly in class alpha airspace, class A airspace above 18,000, they all set their pressure setting to 29.92 and they don't have to touch it after that. That's because the pressure up there, it doesn't, you know, it, it's so low that they just said, okay, let's all be on 29.92. So every airplane above in class A airspace is all, all on 29.92. We're all working on the same reference point and we know uh, what we're all, all working off of. Pressure altitude is equal to true altitude. Remember true altitude is a, the height above mean sea level. It's equal to true altitude when standard atmospheric conditions exist. So again, when you have that standard temperature, then your pressure altitude is going to equal true altitude. And density altitude is a pressure altitude corrected for non-standard temperature variations. So your altimeter sort of just assumes, you know, standard temperature, but it can be affected by temperature. And we don't use density altitude when we're flying, but we use it for performance. So I also like to call density altitude the performance altitude because the temperature changes and affects, which we'll get to, changes and affects the density of the air, and density has a direct relationship with the performance of your aircraft. The lower the density, the worse your performance does. So for pilots, they, they call this a density altitude. So if you have a high density altitude, then that means low density air. It's a bit confusing, and we'll go over this a few more times, but that's what density altitude is. So think of density altitude as a, your performance altitude. It gives you an idea of how your aircraft's gonna perform. Pressure altitude is like a reference altitude used for like, you know, charting and, and, and referencing other obstacles. And then uh, absolute altitude is your height above ground. True altitude is height above mean sea level and indicated altitude is what's seen on your altimeter. Are you still confused to what this all is? Yeah. Yeah, me too. So let's try and fix that. I'm going to just talk about these one more time, maybe in a little bit different words. And because this is an audio, you know, an audio media that I'm delivering this to you right now, maybe it'll make more sense if I say it again and repeat it. So indicated altitude is the only one you will use while flying. True and absolute altitudes are the no kidding facts of your altitude. It's either the height above mean sea level or the height above ground. True and absolute altitudes would be available to pilots if they had a perfectly accurate with no air device to measure their vertical distance from mean sea level. That would be the true altitude and from the surface of the ground below them that would be absolute or agl pressure and density altitudes are the altitudes you'll use when you're planning your flight and determining aircraft performance indicated altitude is whatever your altimeter reading says simple as that no need to confuse this one you want your indicated altitude to read as close to your true altitude as possible at all times this is why we are constantly adjusting the pressure setting settings on our altimeters to get you know, to try and keep up with the, our true altitude above sea level. With the correct pressure setting, our altimeters can get pretty close to the true altitude within 100 to 200 feet of accuracy, but never quite perfectly accurate because of things like temperature and airs in, in the device. True altitude is if you were to take a really long tape measure and stretch it out from mean sea level to the, your aircraft in the sky. This is what you want your altimeter to read since all charts airspace floors and ceilings use true altitude or height above mean sea level 
However, true altitude can never really be measured on your altimeter. Altimeters strive to give you the value of true altitude, but struggle due to constantly changing sea level pressure as your location changes or the air changes and air is introduced into the altimeter. Altimeters are calibrated and designed for an air pressure at standard sea level pressure. This means when the sea level air pressure in your area changes from standard, your altimeter will not read accurately unless you adjust the altimeter setting. And same goes for temperature. We'll get into how a temp temperature affects the altimeter reading here in a bit. Absolute altitude is if you were to take that tape measure and stretch it from the point on your on the ground directly below you to your aircraft in the sky. So instead of all the way to mean sea level, it's to the, the, the point right below you, the point of the ground right below you. Absolute altitude and true altitude are the same when the aircraft is flying over ground or water that sits at an elevation equal to mean sea level or zero MSL. However, the aircraft is normally flying over terrain that rises above sea level or below sea level if you're flying over Death Valley and changes as the plane moves across the earth. For example, consider this figure. So if you're following along inside the online ground school, we have a figure that kind of shows you these different altitudes and gives you a visual aid of what we're talking about. So the aircraft, we have an aircraft flying at 10,000 feet above mean sea level. So it has a true altitude of 10,000 feet. Now, then we have the altitude a little bit more inland where it's flying over some mountains and these this particular mountain is at 6,500 feet above mean sea level. So the terrain elevation right below the, that aircraft is 6,500. So that means the aircraft's absolute altitude is the difference between 6,500, that terrain altitude, and the true altitude of the aircraft of 10,000 feet MSL. So that would be 3,500 feet would be its AGL or absolute altitude. Now, when the aircraft travels, moves over those mountains, and then now it's over just some, some of the foothills of the mountains that are at a terrain elevation of 2,500 feet, now the difference between that terrain elevation and that true altitude, or MSL, is 7,500 feet. So now your AGL changes to 7,500 feet. But the whole time, so as we're flying over the, the tall mountains and the foothills, if we don't you know, climb or descend, our true altitude will be the same. It's always going to be the same over mean sea level, but the terrain below us changes, so our height above ground changes. As you can see, it's important that we, as pilots, update our, our altimeter setting as often as possible. I have a feeling I'm going to struggle saying our altimeter setting, so just bear with me. <laughs> If we don't update our altimeter setting when we fly into a new area with a new sea level pressure, this means our indicated altitude is wrong. Since this is usually our only source of altitude when flying, this can lead to a lot of problems. We can bust into airspace that we shouldn't be flying in. We can fly too close to terrain and bad visibility. We can fly on the wrong airway, etc. For example, say you are flying from an area of low pressure to an area of high pressure, but you forget to get an updated pressure setting from ATC or a METAR or ATIS or something, so you never change your altimeter setting. How will your indicated altitude now be affected? The answer is illustrated below, and so if you're following along, we have a figure that illustrates exactly what this is, but I'll explain it to you guys here on the podcast. Think of it this way. Your aircraft was in an area of low pressure, which represents higher altitudes, where the air pressure is usually lower. Remember our 
our altimeter just senses pressure. When it sees a low pressure, it thinks high altitude. When it sees a high pressure, it thinks low altitude. So we were in this area of low altitude, uh, sorry, low pressure. And so our altimeter, our altimeter thinks high, high altitude, low pressure, high altitude. Then we traveled into an area of high pressure. So we went from low to high pressure, but we didn't change our altimeter setting. The, so your aircraft has not changed altitude. You didn't climb or descend, but your indicated altitude changes. You see the little needles on your altimeter changing, but you're like, I'm not climbing or descending. So what the heck is going on? That is an indication that the pressure in the air outside your aircraft is changing and your altimeter is noticing that. But now you have an indicated altitude that's wrong. So again, your aircraft has not changed altitude. You didn't climb or descend, but your indicated altitude is now wrong. Your altimeter feels this area of high pressure. So again, we went from low to high pressure and associates it with a lower altitude. Again, since lower altitudes have higher pressures. Therefore, your altimeter will indicate an altitude lower than the actual or true altitude above sea level. And this is how, you know, because we didn't set our altimeter setting correctly, we didn't change it. So now our indicated altitude is not equal to our true altitude. And if we were able to constantly update our altimeter setting correctly, we could have our indicated altitude basically match our true altitude, other than some small little errors in, from temperature and other stuff. This is dangerous because when you are flying lower than you think, so in this situation, so we're flying lower than we think. We're actually at a higher altitude, but our, our indicated altitude says we're lower. We might bust into airspace above us or fly close to another air traffic route that we shouldn't be on, and we might not be expecting traffic at that altitude, something like that. So that can be dangerous. The opposite case can also be dangerous. In this case, we're flying from a high pressure to a low pressure area, without changing our altimeter setting. In this case, our indicated altitude will indicate a higher altitude. When you're flying higher than you think, you may be dangerously close to high terrain below you while not even realizing it, especially if you have low visibility and so you can't see that terrain. This is where the phrase high to low lookout below comes from. And this is actually a great mnemonic device to remember how both pressure and temperature affect your altimeter reading. And we'll get to how temperature is right now. We're talking about how a change in pressure goes. If you would have set your altimeter setting appropriately, your indicated altitude would have maintained close to the true altitude above sea level. When you set your altimeter setting or basically telling your altimeter, Hey bud, you are going to feel something and think the altitude has changed, but don't worry, it hasn't. And you can adjust your expectations of the altitude by this, this amount. So you're kind of calibrating it, saying what to expect, say, hey, change, change it by this amount so we're still accurate because outside has changed, so we need to update you. Now, in the online ground school, if you're following along inside the lesson, we're gonna have quiz questions on this to really uh, uh, get this concept down in your head. But the, these visual examples really help. We have this aircraft in this low pressure area, which is shaded by, by red to really show you that that's low pressure. And then we have the path of the aircraft going into this high pressure area. We even have values for the, the low pressure to the high pressure and then values of what your true altitude would stay the same, but how your indicated altitude might change based off those changes in pressure. Okay, so on the FAA written exam, 
you may get a question that talks about what happens when you fly into an air mass where the temperature is higher or lower than standard temperature. You might also get asked about this on your checkride oral. Plus, you'll probably recognize this, you could recognize this if you're flying, when you're flying. In this case, we need to remember that pressure goes where temperature goes in a closed system like the one inside our altimeter. Pressure does not go with temperature in the open atmosphere. So we're not talking about the open atmosphere. So in the open atmosphere, if you get a drop in temperature, you get a, a rise in density. So there's more molecules and there's more massive molecules. And so the pressure is actually higher. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about a closed system. And I'll talk about why this is that way. And I, this is a very confusing subject, one that I've even struggled to communicate. And uh, when I was a student, I struggled to understand it. And then I understood it. And then I became an instructor and I struggled to explain it. And then, so I've, I've been on my YouTube videos and commented here and there. And even, even, you know, today I'm finding way, new ways to, to explain it, new, better ways to explain it. So hopefully I do this good, but the, the, really the difference is we are talking in this lesson about how it affects the temperature is affecting our altimeter. So our altimeter is a special unique system in that if you go back to the lessons on our altimeters, the altimeter has like this balloon called an aneroid wafer that's filled with air. And that is essentially a closed system. No new air can come in and no air can leave. So there's no mass change of the air. And because of that, when that temperature of that air changes, the pressure of that air changes differently than if you were in an open system like the atmosphere, right? So if you're flying out in the atmosphere. So I want to make sure you guys understand that this is specific to altimeters and how our altimeters are affected by temperature and pressure. So if temperature goes up, pressure goes up in a closed system like our altimeter. If temperature goes down, pressure goes down in a closed system like our altimeter. This can also be observed max mathematically from the ideal gas law that again assumes like an adiabatic closed system that says PV equals NRT where P is pressure, V is volume, N is molar quantity of air, R is the universal gas constant, and T is temperature. If we solve that for pressure, we get P equals N times R times T over V. We can see that it, if we hold, you know, like the mass the same, that so N the same, and the universal gas constant is gonna stay the same, and we, we hold the volume the same, that if temperature goes up, that's on the numerator. So if the numerator gets bigger, then that whole value is going to get bigger. And we know that value is equal to pressure because we solve for pressure to get that value. So as temperature goes up, pressure goes up. As temperature goes down, pressure goes down in this ideal gas system that we're talking about. So when temperature goes up or down, pressure follows inside the aneroid wafer in our altimeter. So in our example above, if we are flying from an air mass with low temperature to an air mass with high temperature, we will experience that same effect when the air inside our altimeter heats up. If we keep our altimeter setting the same when we fly into the high temperature area, our altimeter will sense this as a drop in altitude because it will feel a higher pressure. 
inside because that aneroid wafer is expanding because of that increase in temperature and the kinetic energy inside of it. Even though we haven't really changed altitudes, higher temperature means higher pressure and higher pressures occur at lower altitudes. Again, when speaking of the altimeter. A good analogy of this is if you fill a balloon, you can actually do this experiment at home. You fill a balloon up so it's nice and tight and you do that at like room temperature, right? So you do it inside your house or it's like around 70 degrees. And then you put that balloon either, if you live somewhere cold, you can take it outside. Or if you live somewhere warm where it's like 70 degrees outside, like it is here in Southern California, then maybe you need to put it in the freezer. But you need to change it from like, you know, considerable temperature change from something around 70 degrees uh, to something like more, and I'm talking Fahrenheit, something more around freezing, like 30 degrees or something like that, to really see this happen quickly. Uh, so if you do that, the balloon is actually going to de deflate. It's not going to be tight and expanded anymore because the pressure inside of that drop. The pressure inside drops because the air inside has less kinetic energy, which is temperature, and it exerts less force. So those molecules inside are bouncing around less, and so they're exerting less force and less molecular collisions on the walls of the balloon. So that is kind of a cool experiment you can do and why that is, why that balloon changes and then with temperature and why your aneroid wafer would change with temperature inside your altimeter and why or how temperature affects the reading of our altimeter. Okay, so both of these problems, changing pressure and changing temperature and their effect on the altimeter can be remembered using a simple mnemonic device that which we already mentioned, high to low, look out below. This means if you travel from high pressure or temperature to low pressure or temperature that your altimeter is going to sense this as a rise in altitude even though you have not changed altitudes at all. So your aircraft will be lower than what your altimeter is reading and you need to look out below for any terrain, obstacles, or aircraft you may run into because of this issue. So if you remember that, high to low look out below and why that is, you can easily remember that the opposite is true, right? Um, low to high look out above or something, I don't know. but. Just that one mnemonic device can really help you remember all that stuff for your exams. Okay, so when you set your altimeter setting regularly, you are ensuring that your indicated altitude is close to your true altitude, like we talked about. When you have the knowledge of your true altitude, you are able to have confidence in your clearance of terrain, airspace, and airways, because true altitude is what these things are based off of in your aeronautical charts. That's the height above mean sea level, or MSL. Prior to takeoff, the altimeter should be set to the current local altimeter setting if available. If not available, you can set it to the departure airport elevation. So this, I want to repeat this because this is actually an FAA written question. Prior to takeoff, the altimeter should be set to the current local altimeter setting. So what you would get from ATC or METAR or something, whatever that altimeter setting is being reported as. But if that's not available, say you're at an airport that does not have those services, you can set it to the departure airport elevation. So you just change your altimeter setting knob until the altimeter reads the elevation that you're currently at. So that that's like a hack, right? To, to set your altimeter correctly, you say, okay, I know that I'm at an elevation of 500 feet at this airport because it says so in the chart supplement AFD for this airport. I don't have an altimeter setting, but I'm just going to turn my knob until my altimeter reads 500 feet because I know I'm at 500 feet. That's basically what you're doing there. Pressure altitude is a reference point for calculations. So now we're on pressure altitude. 
just kind of reviewing these things for you guys. Aircraft performance charts assume a standard sea level pressure of 29.92. For simplicity, pressure altitude is the altitude above the standard datum plane, a theoretical level indicated by an altimeter set to 29.92 hg. Pressure altitude would only equal true altitude if you're flying in an area where the sea level pressure was actually 29.92 inches of mercury, but, in, but this is rare. Normally, the sea level pressure at a specific location is non-standard. To correct for this, towers and service stations issue the current sea level pressure at the location of inches of HG so that pilots can adjust their pressure altitudes accordingly. Density altitude is the most important altitude in terms of performance. We will discuss how density altitude affects performance in the sections on aerodynamics, but the higher the density altitude, the less aircraft performance, because the higher the density altitude, the lower the actual density of the air. Density altitude is pressure altitude corrected for non-standard temperatures. When the temperature is exactly standard, 15 degrees Celsius, pressure altitude equals density altitude. Pressure altitude assumes a standard temperature and pressure at sea level. When the temperature changes, the density of the air changes and the aircraft performance is affected. For example, when the temperature goes up, the air density goes down and the aircraft flies as if it were at a higher altitude with less dense air. In this situation, the density altitude is higher than the pressure altitude. We use density altitude when we use our performance charts. When we find pressure altitude on the chart and match it with the air temperature, we are adjusting for density altitude, even though it's not telling us the density altitude. That's essentially what it's doing. So if you've ever used a performance chart, like the ones you'll have to use on the FAA written or the ones from like a, a Cherokee Warrior or something, and you find on the x-axis your temperature, and then you draw a straight line up until you run into a uh, diagonal line for pressure out that represents your pressure altitude then at that intersection point then you draw a horizontal line over and then you do the rest of the performance chart that right there you lining up your temperature with a pressure altitude is you adjusting for density altitude and it's on all these performance charts because performance is based off density the chart here that i'm looking at right here in the lesson so if you're in the lesson go check this out this is figure eight from the FAA Airman Knowledge Testing Supplement. I would get used to knowing how to use this because you'll be able to use this on the exam. It's handy for converting pressure altitudes to density altitudes as well as uh, finding your pressure altitude from an altimeter setting. So on the right side of the chart, it has a table where it has altimeter setting and a pressure altitude conversion factor. So this means if you have an indicated altitude or an elevation, and then you have your actual the altimeter setting that it is being reported for that location, you can find a pressure altitude conversion factor and apply that to your elevation or indicated altitude to get your pressure altitude. Then you can have, now you have your pressure altitude, which you can use with temperature on the left side of this chart and find your density altitude. So you, same way as I just talked about on the performance charts, you line up your temperature with your pressure altitude, the diagonal line for pressure altitude, and then you draw a line straight over and read off your density altitude. So let's let's just do a little bit of an example. So say we're at a, a thousand feet elevation and we want to know our pressure, our density altitude. So we're at a thousand feet elevation and we have, let's say it's 21 degrees Celsius. Uh, and then we're reporting a altimeter setting of 
inches of mercury. So what we would do is we would use this chart. We would look for uh, first we're doing the table on the right for our to get our pressure out to conversion factor. So we look for in the first column 30.4. We see that in the column to the right it's minus 440 for our pressure out to correction factor. So we would add negative 440 to our elevation or indicated altitude. In this case, our elevation was 1,000 feet. So we're adding a negative 440. That's the same thing as subtracting 440. And we would get 660. So our pressure altitude with this altimeter setting is 660 feet. So now what we do is we have 660 feet. So for our pressure altitude, we find our 21 degrees Celsius air temperature. We draw a line straight up to where 660 would be. It's kind of between two lines because each line is 1,000 feet of pressure altitude. So we kind of eyeball it. And then we draw a straight line over and to the left to the y-axis. And then we read off our density altitude, which in this case, I'm just kind of eyeballing it here. It looks to be like about 1,400 feet of density altitude. So uh, the 21 degrees is about 70 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's slightly higher than 15 degrees, which is the standard temperature, 15 degrees Celsius. So it's six degrees Celsius hotter than standard. So it's going to have an effect on our density altitude. There's going to be a difference between our pressure altitude and our density altitude. And it's about, you know, 500 or so feet. Okay. So that just is an example of how to use that chart. We will also have questions on this in our quiz. So if you're in the online ground school, go take that quiz, go see these visual aids for you guys. And then just to sort of wrap this all up, density, pressure, true, absolute, and indicated altitude would all be equal to one another. If the aircraft is flying over an area with an elevation of zero feet sea level, so like you're flying over the ocean, for example, where the temperature and pressure our standard 29.92 inches of mercury and 15 degrees Celsius and the altimeter is set to 29.92 inches of mercury. So they're all closely related but they all have their individual purposes. Hopefully this all made sense. There's a video in here that is me trying to explain this all. Hopefully I, I've done that good here and there so maybe you can get you know the 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 visual aid of the video and the lesson will help and again i'll put that in the show notes thank you guys okay guys thanks a lot we're gonna call it quits right here for this episode i think it was about 35 to 40 minutes long perfect for what i want them to be thank you for joining me join me next monday when i drop the next lesson and where we're, we're going to talk about estimating numbers on charts so we kind of got into that chart that figure eight of the fa written or those faa figures which is the density altitude so how do you estimate numbers well, one of the biggest struggles for for some students is getting the wrong numbers on these charts you know drawing straight lines figuring out these grid lines all that stuff so we're going to go over some tips and tricks on estimating numbers on charts and then we're also going to talk about interpolating because also on that figure eight was a table where you have different values where you want to you find a reference value that you want and it gives you a value of something that you want so you have something 
right? So in that example, let me just explain. In that example, we have an altimeter setting, and then we get a pressure all to correction factor. And so we look in that first column for our altimeter setting, and it gives us that correction factor. But what if our exact altimeter setting is not on that table? What if it's between two of the values? That's where interpolating comes in. And on the FAA written, you will be required to do some rudimentary interpolation. So we'll talk about using the equation for interpolation and doing an exact interpolation, but also we'll talk about some tips and tricks on how to sort of just estimate interpolation to save you some time. All right. Thank you for joining me. I will see you guys next week. We're getting close to the holidays. Hope you guys are maybe getting ready to take a little bit of a break. Maybe you're still going to study, listen to this podcast, but hopefully you guys take some much needed time off. I know that, well, hopefully I do as well. So anyways, I will talk to you guys next week. Thanks. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is, you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times. And then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna start to get behind the aircraft and when this happens if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. 
And and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gained, the currency, the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. When I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read, so for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices. Have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on online ground school, and we'll see you inside the online ground school. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.